0: All right, as I said, we're coming to the end of this book called Philemon. And uh, of course, Philemon was a slaveholder. And the book is about Onesimus, who was a runaway slave. And somehow or another, he came into contact with Paul in Rome. And Paul is sending Onesimus back to his master, Philemon. And thus far, he has spent one third of the book, if you will, uh, buttering. Uh, Philemon up, uh, make sure he understands what kind of person he is and what people think about him and all the wonderful things that can be said about him, and then the next third of the book deals with the fact that he's going to let them know why he's writing, and that is that he's writing about uh, this runaway slave named Onesimus, and we got into that uh, Sunday, but tonight we're going to pick up at verse 15 where uh, he continues this discussion about whether or not... uh, Uh, about how that Philemon needs to accept Onesimus back into his household. And um, not only does he need to accept him back in his household, he needs to accept him back in his household as a Christian. And as I said, I'm not going to spend a lot of time uh, talking about some of the stuff we've talked about before, uh, even in the background, because I do want to finish with this book tonight. Um, But any questions or comments people like to make before I do actually get into the text, because I don't want to leave anybody in the dark. Roger, how are you? All right, verse 15. Paul, beginning at verse 15, says some really interesting stuff. There's some neat stuff in the next couple of verses we're going to look at. And um, he says in verse 15, for perhaps he therefore departed for a season that thou shouldest receive him forever. Now, there's a couple of things going on in this verse. First of all, for perhaps he therefore departed. Why does Paul have the word perhaps there? Yes, Michael, I know you probably have the answer to this. Okay. All right, very good. He, he's coming right out and saying, you know, uh, Philemon, you need to take Onesimus back. Yes, he ran away, but there may have been a reason behind all of this. And it may have been the providence of God. And that's why he, he says um, the word perhaps. It even reminds me a little bit of what um, Mordecai told Esther. Uh, Basically, he told her, who knows that the very reason all this is happening to you is for such a time as this?" And so he's saying something very similar to Philemon. Yes, Onesimus did wrong. Yes, Onesimus uh, stole money from you. Yes, Onesimus is really guilty of death for being a runaway slave. But I believe that all of this happened for a reason. I believe the providence of God came about that Onesimus would come to Rome, he'd come in contact with me, he would become a Christian, and now, as we're going to see here later in the text, he's he's going to come back better than he was before. And so, um, as far as the providence of God, what else maybe could you see here? Not only did he become a Christian, but we talked about tradition tells us something else about Onesimus. What happened to him later on, if, if if our history is correct? Yes, Julie? All right, he became an elder in the church at Ephesus. And so you can see quite the story of providence here. Here was a man when he left Philemon, he was a fugitive, he was a runaway slave, he was a thief, but eventually through the providence of God, not only does he become a Christian, but he becomes a a leader in the church. And so that's quite the amazing story. But he goes on and says, not only um, is he, uh, has this happened for a reason, notice he says, for perhaps he therefore departed. Now, what did he actually do? Did he just depart? He ran away. But notice what Paul's doing here. He is using another term, uh, a term based on love. And, in fact, the the word there even is the idea of of someone leaving someone uh, out of love. And he's pushing this back toward the providence idea again, that this all has happened for a reason. Why? So you can show love, Philemon. And then he says... That he departed for a season. Now I'm just curious, does anybody have anything else besides for a season there? For a little while. Anybody have anything else? Just for a while? The word in the Greek there is the word for one hour. He departed for one hour. Now obviously he didn't depart for one hour. He'd been gone for several months. But he's making a contrast of what he's going to be saying here at the very end of the verse. He's making contrast for saying, well, he departed for what really is an hour compared to what? Eternity. Okay? Because the very last ver- word that he has there is that thou shouldest receive him forever. Yes, Michael? I'm not sure. We don't know. It might have been, lo- it might have been a long time. I just know it, it wasn't an hour. It took that long just to get to the train station, with the traffic being what it is today. <laughs> for a short time. Well, an hour would be a short time. And, um, but uh, the King James says for a season, and for a season makes you think of, you know, fall, winter, or even a longer period of time. But Paul's making a contrast here. In the grand scheme of things, that's what he wants Philemon to think about. In the grand scheme of things, what does it really matter that he, he was gone? And um, when I was in school, uh, learning to become a preacher, if you will, in what you might call a seminary type setting, I had a teacher that always emphasized the big picture. In fact, some of you know him, Ed Jones. He came and held an evangelism, a seminar for us. But he always, every time we looked at a verse or something, he wanted us to look at the big picture. And Paul's trying to get Philemon to look at the big picture. Yes, he ran away from you. and it might and and it might have been for providential reasons why he ran away from me because of the good that's going to come out of it. and this time that he's been away from you that might have been something that has been troublesome to you but in the big picture it's really not that big a deal that's what he's trying to get him to see there's been a big discussion among people who write books about uh, scripture commentators uh, about what did he mean at the end of the verse about forever that thou shouldest receive him forever and there's two trains of thought there that um, Paul is making the point to Philemon that now that Onesimus is coming back, he is going to remain faithful to him from now on. That there's never ever going to be the possibility of him running away because he's a different person now. And then the other side of it is what Karen alluded to, that he's talking about eternity. That now Onesimus is not going to even going to be with him in a uh, physical sense, but he's going to be with him forever because one day... Philemon and Onesimus are going to be living in eternity. Uh, kind of like what Austin sometimes says in his prayers, the people that we're here with today, we'll be with them forever, so we better get used to them, even with Austin. So, um, so you know, we have to, and that's why he says that so much, because he's scared we're not going to take him with us, but, but we will. Uh, yes, Smitty? All right, very good. And Of course, you were teaching class Sunday, but I spent quite a bit of time talking about the difference between a Christian who looks at Christianity as a duty And a Christian who looks at it as something that they want to do out of love. And um, do I? (laughs) We do. (laughs) So um, he's saying that, you know, you need to take this man back because it's all based on the fact that there was a reason behind this. You need to look at the big picture. But then he goes on and says in verse 16, He's coming back to you, but not now as a servant, but above a servant. A brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more to thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So he's saying before he was a servant, and the, and the actual word there is slave. It's the word doulos, which means slave. And what's interesting, this whole book is about a runaway slave, but this is the very first time he ever mentions the word. It's like he's staying away from that word as long as he can, but now he finally has to say something about it. And so he says... He's coming back to you, but this time he's not coming back to you as a slave, but instead literally much more than a slave. So unless anybody says, well, Paul's saying he can't be your slave anymore. That's not what he's saying. He's still a slave, but now he's something more than just a slave. He says he's what? A brother beloved. Now, Paul, he's amazing to me how he can um, start writing something and get, you know, all the way down and tie something back in that he introduced at the very beginning. Now, I want you to notice what he did here with Onesimus. He refers to him now as a brother beloved. Now, have we heard that anywhere in this book? Yes, we have. In fact, at the very beginning, the very first verse, notice what he does. He says, Timothy, our brother... "...and Philemon are dearly beloved." Now, that very first verse, he makes Philemon think about the fact that he is a brother in Christ to Timothy, and thus a brother in Christ to Paul. All three of them were brothers. It's the point that Paul is making there. And sometimes people even wonder why Paul even mentions Timothy, because there were other people there with him, as we see at the end of the book. But he's making the emphasize, he's emphasizing the case that as sure as Timothy is your brother and I'm your brother, well guess what? Onesimus is your brother. And Philemon, at the very beginning of this book, I talked about you being beloved. In fact, we may mention of the fact that the word Philemon is a play on the words beloved. Uh, we get the Greek word for love, phileo, out of Philemon's name, and some Greek people think that Philemon actually means to, uh, to kiss or a kiss. And so he's, he's bringing it all full circle now. And he's putting Onesimus in the same category as he put Timothy and as he put Philemon himself. So he's telling Philemon now, this runaway slave, he's exactly like you. He is the same person that I called you. He's beloved. But he goes on and he says, he he is especially this way to me. He wants Onesimus to think about how much Paul is, or how much or how much Onesimus is beloved to him. He wants Philemon to think about that. That he this man is so special to him, but then notice what he does. If he's that special to me, what does he say next? Well, how much more is he going to be special to you? He's making Philemon think. And then to make sure he understands the situation, he says, both in the flesh and in the Lord. He says, he is a brother beloved. He's so special to me. But he's even more special to you now, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Now, what does he mean in the flesh and in the Lord? All right. There's two sides he's dealing with here. One is the earthly side, and we'll talk more about that in a minute, and there's also the spiritual side of it. Michael, do you want to say something? Christians should be the very best workers they should ever that could ever be. Uh, no, no employment uh, or boss should complain about a Christian that works for them. They should give a day's work for a day's wage and should be the best employees ever. And so he's, he's selling Philemon He's coming back to you now, and he's going to be even more special to you because he's going to be the very best slave that he can be, but he's also going to come back as a Christian. And there's that special side of it, okay? But then Paul says, and if I'm moving on quick because I do want to get finished with this, and we can go back and go over some other stuff if you want to in just a moment. But in verse 17 he says, If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee, or oweth thee aught, put that on my account. I, Paul, have written it with my own hand. I will repay it, albeit I do not say to thee, How thou owest unto me, even thine own self besides? All right, we've got a lot of financial terms in the Greek here coming up. The very first thing he says, um, if you want to count me, or in other words, if you agree to this, Therefore, I want you to be my partner. We're going to be partners. And the Greek word here is the idea to be business partners. Now, how are they going to be business partners? How are Philemon and Paul going to be business partners, you think? Well, they're preaching the gospel, but within the context of Onesimus. They're talking about Onesimus here. Yes, yes. All right, you get to the next verse. Paul's saying... We're going to be business partners, and this is the deal I'm proposing to you. You take him back, and I will take care of anything that occurred to you as far as any debts are concerned. What do you want to say, Jeff? All right. Hey, I'm sorry, Jeff. I didn't mean to steal your thunder there, buddy. Um, All right, and that's what he's going to talk about in just a moment. Very good. Um, When we talk about business things, we talk about vested interest. Philemon had a vested interest in Onesimus because he was his slave. Paul had a vested interest in Onesimus because he converted him. He even refers to him as the fact that he was his son in the faith and that he had begotten him. And Philemon, um, Paul had a vested interest in him or vice versa because, as we see at the very end of verse 19, he alludes to the fact that you owe me something. He doesn't say what that something is, but we can figure out what that something is. And that is, Paul converted Philemon. And so, you know, you you owe me something for that. Uh, He didn't mean that because he converted him that he expected to be paid, but he's saying that you have a debt to me is the idea. So he goes on and says, we're going to be business partners. And therefore, I want you to receive him. The word for receive there in the Greek is the receiving of someone in your family. So he's not just saying take him back. He says, I want you to take him back as a part of your family. Now, once again, there's a lot of discussion. And he's saying take him back into his household as a family member, or is he saying take him into the family because he's a part of the family of God now, and he's your brother, and that may be more what he's talking about. But he not only says, not only do you take him back as into your family, but he goes on and says, take him as you would myself. In other words, if you were going to take me back in, how would you receive me? And that's what he wants uh, him to think about. But then he, he says in verse 18, um, Any way that he has wronged thee, and we think that he perhaps stole money from Philemon when he left, or anything that he has owes thee, put that on my account. In other words, he's, he's using some Greek words here. It says, I want you to charge that to me. Uh, I want you to write me a bill for it. And I'm going to pay that particular bill. Now, it's interesting. um, A lot of people take verse 18, if you're reading a commentary on this, and spend a lot of time when they get to verse 18 talking about the doctrine of uh, impunation. Um, What is the doctrine of impunation? Uh, You ever heard the song, uh, He Paid a Debt He Did Not Owe, I owe a debt I can't repay? in other words, when Jesus died on the cross, He's doing the same thing that Paul is talking about here. Um, God goes, or Jesus goes to Jesus Christ, and He says, "If Jim's done anything wrong, I want you to charge it to my account. Um, Smitty's done anything wrong, I want you to charge it to my account." It's the doctrine of of, of, of imputed righteousness. In other words, when Jesus died on the cross. Um, they put all of my sins on Jesus' account. And, of course, that's the only way that I can go to heaven. Somebody has to pay the debt. And so Jesus is telling God, He doesn't deserve to go to heaven. He, he's, he has a, uh, so much He can owe you, there's no way in the world He could ever pay you. But when I died on the cross, all that was charged to my account. Uh, the doctrine of, of imputed righteousness, the righteousness of God, A righteousness of Jesus Christ has been placed on me because of what Jesus did on the cross. And therefore, Jesus did pay a debt he didn't know. It was my debt. And he paid a debt that I could never repay. Because I can never, ever be good enough um, to to satisfy God's justice and his holiness. Uh, But he says in verse 18, if he has done anything wrong, I will pay you back. And that leads to a lot of discussion about, first of all, what did he do? Uh, how much money did he steal? Uh, if he went from all the way from Colossae, where Onesimus was, to Rome, which is a journey of around a thousand miles, uh, he would have to, of course, buy food. He would have to buy passage. Uh, there would probably be some bribes involved as far as getting uh, past certain areas to get into the city of Rome. He had to find a way to live. So some people think he took quite a large sum of money. Because, you know, even to us today, travel 1,000 miles today in the modern Asia we live in, it's not that cheap to go 1,000 miles, especially if you fly. And um, if we decide to drive, you've got to stop at McDonald's every so often, and that's, you know, some money involved. Um, So they think that perhaps Onesimus took quite a large sum of money to make the journey that he did to get to where he was. But here's the question that always quanders people. How in the world could Paul pay that? (laughs) That's right. He was in prison. So how can he? How can the world, if, if uh, Philemon sent him a bill, how is he going to send that back? Especially if it starts, gets marked 30 days and then 60 days. and How is he going to pay? Yes, Barbara. Okay. Well, that's one way to look at it. Uh, he didn't charge it to him, but we don't know what the terms of that charging was. He might have a real good credit card. Uh, low interest rate and whatnot. Good terms. Um, some people think that perhaps that um, he knew that Philemon never would actually send, send him a bill. Uh, that this is almost a, theor- uh, a theoretical statement or whatever. That he, didn't, he never th- thought that Philemon would hold it against him. But it's here in print. And what happens next leads me to believe that uh, he was serious about this. And if Philemon sent him the bill for what uh, Onesimus wasted as far as the money he stole. That he would have paid it back. Which brings us back to this time period, and you remember when we were studying the book of Philippians, Paul told the church at Philippians after he received his gift, not only did you give me everything I need, but much more than I needed. I had extra left over. And so some people think that he was going to repay Philemon if he needed to out of the money that the Philippians had given him. Because that would be the only place where he had gotten this money. But he made it very clear to the Philippians that they overabundantly gave him what he needed. They met all his needs. And all this is happening at the exact same time. Paul wrote the church at Philippians, at Philippi, at Philippi, I got my mouth right. He wrote this book, and he wrote the book of Ephesians, and he wrote the book of Colossians. All at this same time period. And so all those tie in, especially the book of Colossians and this book with the book of Philippians. So it may be that he was going to pay him with the money that the church at Philippi had so graciously given him. Yes, look. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and so that's the reason why he wants um, Philemon to take Onesimus back, that taking him back is a good investment. Notice how he began this section. He says he is not just a slave to you anymore. He's more than a slave. He's a brother beloved. He's, he's, he's going, not only good to me, but He's even going to be even more so to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. And then the very next verse, He talks about, we're going to be business partners. And you go ahead and put your, whatever He owes you, you put it on my account. You charge me for it. And so He is letting him know that you're getting the best deal. Not only are you getting this man back that's going to work for you, not only are you getting this man back and he's now a Christian, but if there's any death that he occurred because of his running away, I've got you covered. This man is in a no-lose situation, you know. It's like, um, what do they say? What's the reverse country song? You get your wife back, you get your trailer back, you get your dog back, and your truck back, yeah. You get everything back. Because um, you lose it in the country song, but you get, you get the reverse, you get it all back. But anyway, so he's getting everything back. But notice... Something real neat happens here next in verse 19. I, Paul, have written it with my own hand. I will repay it. What's going on here? Michael? Exactly right. Yeah, this is like a promissory note right here. It's almost like some people think Onesimus was doing the handwriting up to this time, but he's like he takes the pen out of Onesimus' hand, and he writes this section himself. And there'd be a difference in the letter that... Philemon God, he could see the, how the handwriting changed. And it's like Paul is saying, I'm signing a contract right now. Here's my promissory note. Here's my loan papers, if you will. I'm writing this part in my own hand. Yep. They're very good. It's like an IOU. Abso- absolutely. He's got it in writing. And so that makes it a legal and binding contract. Yes, Karen? Yeah, we don't know why he ran away. We don't know how he came in contact with Paul uh, we don't know any of that background, um, other than that he did run away. And evidently, because of what's being written right here, he evidently took some things that weren't his. But good question, for those who weren't here earlier. All right, did I see another hand somewhere? All right, so he, he's got a, uh, some signed papers here now. Paul says, I've written it with my own hand. I'm going to repay it. But then he says, but I want you to think about something, Philemon. I want you to think about how much you owe me. And obviously he's not talking about money here. He's talking about the fact that I gave you the greatest gift that any man could give anybody. And I taught you the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is the greatest gift we can give any person. And um, in the day and age that we live in, um, we don't often think about this, but if we have a part in some way, even if it's to plant the seed, and giving somebody else the opportunity to water. Uh, We have given someone that we have been in the process of converting to Jesus Christ the greatest gift we could ever give them. And um, some of us who have had the opportunity to do that, there's probably no better feeling of satisfaction or joy uh, knowing that somebody will spend eternity, uh, at least because of some of your influence. And so that's what he wants them to think about as you start... Me saying, I want you to look at this balance sheet that I've placed before you. On one hand, you've got Onesimus who is a runaway slave, and he incurred some cost to you. It may have been money he stole, or it might have been lost wages because he wasn't there to work for you. And I'm going to take care of that part of the balance sheet, but then I want you to look on the other side of the balance sheet and see what you really owe me. And no matter what's on this side, this side is so much more because of the spiritual uh, intent there. But he goes on in verse 20 and says, Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. And I'm thankful Austin's here tonight for that latter part of that verse. We'll talk more about that with Austin in just a moment. But notice once again he says, Yes, brother. He's emphasizing again that we are all brothers in Christ. The King James has the phrase, Let me have joy. But does anybody have anything different other than joy there? Some benefit, okay. Joy sounds like, hey, I want to be happy. But that's not what really is happening here. The word there is the word, what you got, Beverly? All right, encouragement. All right. That's, that's more the idea of the joy once again. But the word here is a form of the word anesimus. And so Paul is doing something really neat here. Remember, the word anesimus means help or helper, okay. And Paul is actually using that word right here for joy. And the King James translated it joy. Some people translate His head was encouragement. And Barbara said benefit. What you got, Julie? All right, that's, that's a little bit later in the verse. I'm talking about the part just there for joy. All right. I want you to notice what he's doing. Paul loves to make word plays. And he's making a word play here when he says, Let me have Onesimus of thee. Let me have helper of thee. And what he's doing is now, he has turned Philemon into Onesimus. Is everybody with me? You see what I'm saying there? What he's doing? He has turned the thing around and says, Philemon, you are the Onesimus. He's your helper, and he left, but I want you to become the helper, the Onesimus, is what he's actually saying. And the reason why you do that is because you can refresh us. And that goes back to verse 7. Look at verse 7. Once again, Paul ties things in so well. Notice what he, when he was describing Philemon and what kind of impact he had on the church, he refers to him, he says, For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because of the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. And he uses the same word there for refresh, which literally means revive. He's saying that the brotherhood, the church, is revived by thee. Well, let's turn around again, and I want you to be someone who revives me or refreshes me. And, Austin, what does it mean when he refresh my bowels in the Lord? <laughs> and Glenn's salad, okay. <laughs> I didn't know meant, oh, I kept him fresh. Okay, I see what you're saying, okay. Bowels means from the deep down inside. This is a deepness that comes within You refresh me deeply if you do this. So he's saying, I want you to become the helper. I want you to become the Onesimus. The reason being, goes back up to verse 19, because of everything you owe me, you need to carry out what you've done previously and be someone who refreshes the brotherhood. Well, I want you to refresh me by taking Onesimus back. And so in verse 21, he says... Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. Um, The word having confidence in the Greek is in the perfect participle. And the perfect participle in the Greek is an interesting thing because when you use it, you're saying it with the idea that what you're talking about has already happened, okay? And so he's saying having confidence... He's saying, I know that this has already been done. This is a fact. Even though Onesimus hadn't got there yet, even though Philemon hadn't received him in the ways that Paul wants him to receive him, Paul, when he says this, he's saying, I'm talking to you like this has already taken place, using the Greek form that he uses. Now, what I like about this is, many times Paul uses this particular Greek participle and the word confidence when he's talking about our salvation and our home in heaven. Having this confidence that this earthly tabernacle be dissolved, we have a house not made with hands forever in the heavens. Paul uses that word meaning it's already happened. It's already taken place. That's the truest form of confidence. When we have confidence in something, we mean we know it's going to take place. And so that's a good lesson in how that's used in the perfect uh, participle that he says this with the idea that it has taken place already. I am so sure this is going to take place. And other times when you see it used in the New Testament, it should give you strength, especially when he talks about our salvation, talking about our home in heaven. Um, but he says, not only do I know that you'll do this, that I have confidence in this, he says, having confidence in thy obedience. Now this is some people that he uses the word obedience here because... Nowhere in this epistle has he actually told him to do anything that needed to be obeyed by command. Paul was very clear that this was something he needed to do out of free will. So most people think the obedience that he's talking about here is not obedience to Paul, but obedience to God. It's the overall obedience. What would you do as a Christian is what he's talking about. Because Paul was very careful not to come out and say, you have to do this. And so he's he's more probably talking about God here. But then he goes on and says in verse 21, not only do I have confidence that you're going to do the right thing in obedience to God, but you'll do more than what I have requested. Now, what would be more than what he has requested? What is he requested, first of all? Go ahead, Jeff. That's all right. All right, forgiving the debt. Restoration, what are you going to say, Roger? Onesimus back. But he's but accepting back as a brother and as a slave. So if he was going to do more than that, what do you think this is a veiled hint at? I hear noise in my head what saying. But maybe freedom. We don't know if that's what he had in mind. But some people think that's what he had in mind. What do you think, Michael? All right. And if you combine the two things you all have said together. Uh, I think we can come up with a pretty good consensus that um, when he came back, he might not have let him go, okay? He, he continued to be a slave. Uh, but Philemon, since he was already a Christian, probably already treated his slaves, another word to put it, better than maybe other slave owners did. Because, you know, the whole point of Christianity is love. And even um, if you were a slave owner, you know, even though it sounds like an oxymoron, you would be the best slave owner you could be as far as the way you treated people. And so now that Onesimus is coming back and he is a Christian, you're going to even treat him better than what you have treated him before, is maybe what he's talking about. Or it may be that um, this caused him to change his whole outlook on slavery. And maybe um, he let them all become people who had the opportunity to stay or, or go. Yes, Smittyy. And absolutely, Sunday I've men- I made mention of uh, Galatians three twenty-five through twenty-seven, where Paul says, for we, are, "For we are all children of God in Christ Jesus. For as many of us who have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ, for there is neither bond nor free, neither male nor female, neither Jew nor Greek, but all are one in Christ Jesus." That's a wonderful thing that happens when you're a Christian. But guess what? If you were a slave and you became a Christian, you were still a slave. If you were a Christian and you, I mean, if you were a Greek and you became a Christian, you were still a Greek. If you were a Jew, of course your religion changed, but you were still of the Jewish nationality. It doesn't change who you are as far as your circumstances are concerned, but it does change the equality as far as the way Christ looks at you. There is no class system in Christianity as far as Christ is concerned, but just because you became a Christian, you don't might say, well, there's no such thing as slavery slavery in, in Christ, so I'm not a slave anymore, or... Um, of course, we see a lot of this going around today. Well, now that I'm a Christian, I've been a woman all my life, but now I'm a man. It do not work that way. And that's what Paul said in that same text. But here's the thing to ponder. This is what people ponder about, myself included. We have real good evidence that Onesimus eventually became an elder in the church at Ephesus. How did he get there? How did that work out? We don't know. But it makes you ponder... Well, did he get to this point because of the fact that even though he continued to be a slave to Philemon, that he, Philemon respected him as a Christian and let him flourish and grow as a Christian, and he was an elder in the church, but yet still belonged to Philemon? Maybe so. Did Onesimus... Because he became such a good, hard worker for Philemon, after he became a Christian and went back, that it got to the point that he worked so hard that he worked himself out of slavery, and maybe he became an elder in the church. Maybe so. Or maybe it was like Tony said. Maybe after he became a Christian, he got back home, Philemon had a change of heart about slavery forever, and stopped all that, and started paying his men wages his female and his women wages and became an employer instead of a slave owner. And Onesimus had the opportunity to be someone who just simply had a job and became an elder in the church. Yes, Julie? Absolutely. And Paul spent the first seven verses talking about his Christianity and put him up on a pedestal as far as Christianity is concerned. Yes, Roger? Yes, slaves were married and had children, and they belonged to the person that, that... that was owned to them. Unless they were indentured, then the whole family—what just that one person was? Yes, Flood. Absolutely. And Paul has always emphasized that the fact that with Onesimus now they are on equal plane. There's still a role relationship there, but as far as the individuals are concerned, they're equal as far as being in Christ Jesus. So a good point, man. Time to our time. Well, this. Is Very quickly, verse 22, uh, it's interesting, I'm not going to read the verse, but it's interesting, Paul says, I want you to fix a place for me to stay when I come see you. Now, I think the reason why he said this is, let Philemon know, I'm going to come check up on you. (laughs) I'm going to come see you when I get out of prison, and you're going to find out, I'm going to find out whether or not how all this transpires, maybe what he's saying. And then at the very end of of the chapter, he talks about some people who are with him There is Epaphras who was the preacher at uh, uh, the church at uh, Colossae that uh, was there staying with Paul. There is Marcus who wrote the book of Mark, who is John Mark. One time Paul was upset with him, but now he's reunited with him. Demas is with him now, but very shortly after this time, what's going to happen to Demas? He's going to forsake Paul, having loved this present world. And then there's Lucas, who's literally Luke, who is the great physician. And it's interesting when you get to uh, the very last book that Paul wrote, 2 Timothy chapter, and in chapter 4 and verse 11, he talks about how all has left him, but Luke is the only one with me. Uh, when he finally came for his trial, he was the only one there. And there's a re- different reasons why people weren't there, but the Luke was the last one to stay with him. And, of course, he finishes his uh, book the way he finishes many books, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. And we run out of time. But that's the end of the book, of Fleming. Thank you. Yes, Michael. Oh no, 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 no. This is not. This is this is, is conquer. This is conquered nations, um, and uh, different nationalities from all over the world. Romans had 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 Gauls, which French, would be French people today. They had slaves that were Germanic. Uh, they had slaves that were British. They had uh, slaves that were Thracians, which a lot of their slaves were when they conquered uh, the Thracian nation. If you ever watch uh, the movies about Spartacus and all those, most of those slaves that fought in the, uh, uh, the gladiator wars were thr- Thracians. And so these were people from all over conquered nations. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, uh, they probably had very few, uh, as far as different co- uh, colored people, that kind of thing. that makes sense. All right, but we've got to stop there.